Welcome to our fourth out of five sessions uh, on becoming a contagious Christian. Uh, we're looking at the issue of courage today and uh, really the question of why does courage really matter, which for many of us is an obvious question. Um, and yet it's, uh, it's, it's a really important one and I think there's some important stuff that the Bible has to say about it. And um, So before we do anything... Why don't I pray for us and we'll get stuck in. Lord, uh, we just want to thank you for this morning. What a beautiful day and um, how blessed we are to just be able to spend this time looking at your word and um, examining this really important issue of courage and why courage matters in um, being faithful on, on mission. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you just be with us this morning as we open up your word and um, that you'd be glorified and you'd help us to be more courageous. And um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why is courage crucial to becoming a contagious Christian? I just realized it's like five C's in that statement. Um, it's like out of a kid's book. Sorry about that. Why is courage crucial to becoming a contagious Christian? Actually, four C's. Um, the first thing I wanted to say is, and my first point, I'm going to spend a bit of time looking at and the point that's probably obvious to most people is that mission involves stepping over the pain barrier. Um, it's pretty common these days to hear people talk about mission almost as though you kind of, if you do it the right way, uh, no one's ever going to get hurt. You know, if you're kind of clever enough in the way you love on people, and if you're kind of smart enough in the way you kind of present the gospel over time using the right methodology that uh, you'll never offend anyone and you'll never really risk a friendship um, you'll never have people think poorly of you um, you'll never you know, offend or upset anyone I think it's actually kind of a common way almost in some of the ways in which people um, talk about mission um, in a lot of the mission books and different things that you read. Um, it's a really nice thought, but the problem with it is it's just simply not biblical at all. Um, it was really uh, pretty strongly um, illustrated to me in a conversation I had some months ago um, with a friend, and they were talking to me about something that had happened to their wife. And, um, and this friend had... This uh, friend's wife had really they'd lost a friendship um, through sharing the gospel, and um, they're talking about how you know they really sought the love on the person, and they'd been a friend for many years, and um, then finally they plucked up the courage to have this conversation, and they talked about the gospel, and the friend basically turned around and said to them, "So this is what our friendship's all about. You, this is all about this. You've just been biding your time." talk to me about Jesus because you just really just I'm a project of yours you want me to become a Christian and that was the end of their friendship <coughs> now this person had been trying to faithfully love this friend they'd really been asking God to provide an opportunity for them to talk about Christ and the tragedy of this situation is, is that this person had thought that they'd done something horribly wrong in sharing the gospel with their friend and so said, look, I just think 
it's not for me. I just seem to mess it up. I'm, I'm mortified of doing it again because I think I just completely ruined that situation. I ruined that friendship by the way I, I shared Christ with my friend. Now, it's what I'm not trying to say is that sometimes we can be unloving in the way we talk to people about Jesus. Um, we can. We can pick the wrong time. We can say things in, in a way that's really unhelpful. It is important to think about what we're saying. But... The truth of the matter is that we actually carry an offensive message. Like the message of the gospel, if rightly understood, is offensive. It's horribly offensive. And more than that, we're at a spiritual war where the God of this age, we're going to be looking at that passage, 2 Corinthians, has blinded people and doesn't want people to come to Christ. And and when we share the gospel, we're, we're risking getting hurt we're risking people being upset with us we're risking losing a friendship we're risking facing rejection it's a genuine risk Um, it should not be unexpected to us to to find opposition when we share with people about christ the question is am i willing to step out in faith to trust god to love my friend to share the gospel, and to risk the pain that might follow. Um, It's crossing the pain barrier in sharing the gospel. It it genuinely requires us, if we're going to be faithful in mission, to step over the the pain barrier, to risk the loss of friendship. Um, And it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus says, Matthew 10, 16, he says this, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Like, it's a picture of a little innocent sheepy, meh, like wandering out, like, and then surrounded by wolves, like, ah, like they're going to get you. You know, it's a picture of hostile forces out there that oppose the gospel. So we need to be gentle and, and wise, like serpents and innocent like doves, Jesus says. We need to be wise about how we go about sharing the gospel. And we need to be innocent. But the reality is we're going out like sheep in the midst of wolves. There's hostile forces against us. In Mark 12, we looked at this last year at the back end of um, last year. Um, Jesus tells um, some of the uh, religious leaders and his disciples um, this parable. And um, he says in Mark 12, verse 1, he says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, says Jesus, and put a fence around it. And dug a pit for the winepress, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat and some they kill. Now, Jesus is going to go and talk about himself and how the son gets sent and so on and so forth. And so he uses this parable to illustrate his way, um, what he's come to do as the, the son, the rightful heir of all that belongs to God. Um, but at the same time, it's not just a picture about Jesus' life. It's a picture about hostile forces opposing the kingdom of God. 
Um, and so in this parable, we don't only see the opposition that Jesus faced, we see something of the opposition that we'll face as well. And in this country, it's not um, that people are probably going to kill you for sharing about Jesus. Some places they will. Um, but it is that you risk friendships, you risk positions at work, you risk uh, being rejected, you risk losing the respect of your colleagues. You risk. You cross over the pain line in sharing with people about Jesus. The classic verse that um, people often share, it's a beautiful verse, it's from 1 Peter 3.15. People use this verse all the time. Um, it says, 1 Peter 3.15 says this, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, it's a beautiful passage um, about you know, people coming up and asking you about your faith and being prepared to give an answer, but people often don't read the verse that comes before and the, and the verse that comes after because the context of 1 Peter 3.15 is actually suffering for your faith. That is the context into which people ask you, why do you still hope in God when people slander you like this? Verse 14, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Troubled. The context is suffering for righteousness' sake. It's 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 faithfully wanting to do the will of God, and people opposing you for it. The verse that follows, verse sixteen, says, "Having a good conscience, so that when you are what slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." The context of that verse that we often use is, you know, just live in a really good way and people will ask you, oh, what's your hope? You know, why are you such a joyful, happy sort of person? That's not actually really the context. The context is someone wanting to be faithful to Jesus in the workplace, wanting to be faithfully obedient to him in life. People then opposing, slandering, standing against you, and yet you continually to faithfully trust in God. As Christians... Being faithful in mission involves stepping over the pay barrier. It involves risk. Um, the question is, when uh, uh, well, are you willing to, to trust God with that and step over the pain barrier? Um, when people, when you suffer for Jesus and people ask you, why are you still trusting in God? Um, you can talk to them about Jesus and explain why. Um, Rico Tice says this in his book, Honest Evangelism. He says, evangelism does hurt. You do risk your reputation and your relationships if you're going to talk about Jesus. There is increasing hostility to the gospel message, but something else is going on too. There is also increased hunger. The same rising tide of secularism and materialism that rejects truth, claims, and is offended by absolute moral standards is proving to be an empty and hollow way to live. So in our culture, we do have rising opposition to following Jesus, but... Side by side with that is rising hunger as people find the things that our culture offers to be shallow and hollow and unfulfilling. Um, so that's the first point. Um, mission involves stepping across the pain barrier. But the other thing that maybe um, some of us have given less thought to, um, and I know for me as well, is mission involves, and this is the second reason we need courage, mission involves killing the idols that hold us back. You see, there's lots of amazing... Uh, reasons to be on mission. Lots of them. Um, Rico Tyson's book gives us three big category reasons. The first one is, and I hadn't really thought too much about this one, the glory of Jesus. 
And the glory of Jesus is the idea of when someone loves Jesus so much, you just you, you just you're almost wounded by someone slandering him, someone not acknowledging him. Just because that's how much you treasure Jesus, you want everyone, because you love him and honor him so much, you want everyone to, to, to love him the same way because you you, you you see that he should be rightly honored and, and glorified. Um, in, in the book, um, Honest Evangelism, he um, gives a story about John Stott. Um, and John Stott is talking about, uh, a, a, in his book um, called Our, Our Guilty Silence, um, which is on this issue, he tells a story of this um, 19th century missionary called Henry Martin um, who died taking the gospel to India and Iran. And um, John Stott writes this. He says, Martin's customary serenity was only disturbed when anybody insulted his lord. On one occasion, the sentiment was expressed to Martin that Prince Abba Mirza had killed so many Christians that Christ from the fourth heaven took hold of Muhammad's skirt to entreat him to desist. It was a dramatic (coughs) fantasy. Here was Christ kneeling before Muhammad. How would Martin react? Um, Martin wrote the following. He said, I was cut to the soul of this blasphemy. Seeing his discomfiture, his visitor asked what it was that was so offensive. Martin replied, I could not endure existence if Jesus would be thus dishonored. His Muslim visitor was astonished and again asked, why? If anyone pluck out your eyes, he answered, there is no saying why you feel pain. It is feeling. It is because I am one with Christ that I'm thus dreadfully wounded. And in response to this, um, John Stott writes the following. He says, I never read these words of Martin's without feeling, uh, without being rebuked. For I do not have this passionate love for Christ's honour or feel this acute pain, nor do I see it much, if at all, in the contemporary church. But is not this the cause of our guilty silence? We do not speak for Christ because we do not so love his name that we cannot bear to see him unacknowledged and unadored. If only our eyes were open to see his glory, and if only we felt wounded by his public humiliation amongst men, we should not be able to remain silent. Rather, we would echo the apostles' words in Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. I think it's so true, isn't it? That's one of the such compelling reasons why we, we should be out on mission is the glory of Jesus, not being able to bear seeing him so slandered. There's others. There's other compelling reasons. The guarantee of eternal life. Um, you know, that rope illustration that Francis Chan has where he has this huge, massive long rope and then ties this kind of tiny little red dot on the end of this rope that travels around the whole room and says, you know, imagine this rope is all of eternity. Imagine our life is this tiny little dot. This little dot we live affects all that is to come for all of eternity. You know, it's such a it's such a such a one-sided trade. You know, tiny little bit of living now for the sake of all of eternity, all of history to come. Um, thirdly, there's the grim reality of death and hell. People are headed to hell. You know, one of the things I'm going to talk about this morning as we're talking about mission in the local church is um, just about... I was trying to figure out like roughly how many Christians there are in uh, Australia and in Sydney sort of thing. And, you know, if you boil down the maths, if you're just going to look at statistics of going to church, right, because that's about all you've got. Um, about 5% of people in Australia go to church, um, go to a Bible-believing church 
<coughs> once a month or more, about 5%. So if you take Sydney, that means roughly in all of Sydney, 5 million people, roughly then you've got 250,000. If you're going to say all of those people that go once a month or more to church, or Bible believing church are Christians, because obviously they're not, because um, you can go to church and not be a Christian. Um, but if you're going to say all those people are Christians, you've got roughly 250,000 Christians in Sydney. Now, that might seem like a lot of people, but that also means that you've got 4.75 million people that are not, that are headed to hell. You want to take that down to the Hornsby Shire, right? Roughly, it's probably gone up now because of all the construction, but 2015, the guesstimate was 170,000 people in Hornsby Shire. Right, five percent of one hundred and seventy thousand, about eight and a half thousand Christians, right, roughly. That means one hundred and sixty-one thousand five hundred people that are not that are going to hell. I mean, there's something in that. It's just like it should motivate us. There's so many people. I mean, why do churches bicker about opportunities to talk with people about? Jesus? There's so many people that don't know Christ in the city, and yet we all find it so hard. Why do we find it so hard? Um, Rico Tice puts it this way. He says, I've often wondered why lovely, compassionate, committed Christians simply don't do evangelism. For years I couldn't understand why so many well-taught and in many ways mature believers were just apathetic about sharing the gospel. They knew about new creation. They believed in the reality of hell. They confessed Jesus as their King and Saviour. Some of them had even seen people come to faith through their witness in the past, but they were half-hearted at best about evangelism. Here's what I slowly came to conclude had happened to these committed, non-evangelizing Christians. In their hearts, they were serving something good that they'd made into their God, their idol. And that was, and that was what was stopping them from evangelizing. So for as long as Jesus is not my greatest love, I will keep quiet about him in order to serve my greatest love, my idol. I will keep quiet about him. That's so true. We know all these things in our head and yet we find it so hard to share with people about Jesus because we have other things we love as well. We're worried about losing our other loves. The respect of a colleague. The friendship of a close friend. For people to think I'm a reasonable or a nice person. For people to think I'm a non-judgmental, hateful person. Other loves. And so, the fruit is, we keep quiet. Well, how can we spot an idol? Um... There's four uh, real different categories. This comes from Tim Keller, and um, I think it's really helpful things to think about. Tim Keller says um, there's four different things that you should think about. Firstly, what do you daydream about? You know, when you've got that sort of quiet moment, maybe on a Sunday afternoon, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? You see, idols are things that we, in reality, care most about having, increasing, and keeping. Um, what do you daydream about? Secondly, what do you have nightmares about? You see, idols are things that we fear losing, that we can't imagine life without. 
that keep us awake at night worrying? What do you have nightmares about? What do you daydream about? What do you pray about? Idols are things that we can at times pray about a lot. If there's something that we pray about more than asking God's will to be done in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones, it's likely that that thing is our functional God. What do you need in life that, if you get it, means you'll then live for God? If you find yourself thinking, yes, I'll obey you, God, once I have this. Yes, I'll witness for you, God, once I have that. Well, there I put to you is your idol. And uh, I've been thinking about this a bit. And to be honest, my, my big idol that holds me back, I think, is um, idol of, of approval, to be honest. You know, sharing the gospel with people, <coughs> not even sharing the gospel with people, like things like praying in public. You know, you're out at a restaurant sort of thing or you're meeting up with someone to talk about faith and different things. You say, why don't we pray? And then I'm like, what's every, who's looking? Who's looking at people watching? Try to whisper maybe a little bit, you know, worrying about what people think, you know, about me. Um, you know, if you realize you have an idol, um, it's not a moment for despair. It's really, it's an opportunity because it's an opportunity to move forward. God wants us to repent of that. I think in that moment, I need to recognize, God, I love more what people think of me and that people would love me than I love you. And I, that's, that's not my heart. It's like, I want to love you the most. I want to love what you think of me. I want you to be my greatest treasure. Um, you know, um, Rico Tice, you know, when he meets people to help him with this, because he's got a similar struggle, um, his question that he asks himself again and again is, where will this person be 100 years from now? Where will they be? <coughs> I think that's so helpful to, to remember. You know, we can worry about ruining someone's day. You know, by talking to them about Jesus. But where will they be 100 years from now? Where will I be 100 years from now? 100 years from now, I'll be with Christ. And all these worries will be a distant memory. 100 years from now, that person will be facing the wrath of God in hell. And their opportunity will be over. And God calls me to faithfully share Christ with them. Um, well two obstacles to sharing our faith but I didn't want to finish there and really um, this is where I wanted to finish our time together of these four talks and that is that it's not just that we need courage in order to be faithful on mission but it's that God is willing to grant us the Holy Spirit to give us boldness. God is wanting to strengthen us and help us. There's so many beautiful examples of this in in the Bible particularly in the book of Acts. Um, I want to read you one from Acts Chapter 4, 23 31, it says, And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand 
and your plan had predestined to take place. And here's where it gets awesome. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Peter and John had been persecuted um, to the point of being threatened to put to, to be put to death um, prior to this, and and there's this beautiful scene where they come back, they gather together, and and they're afraid. They're afraid of what might happen to them, but they say, "God, we see that everything that's happened has been a part of your plan." And so, what we now ask is, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our our need for courage. Would you give us boldness? Would you help us to be faithful? And God answers that prayer. Um, J. Max Stiles, in his book, Marks of the Messenger, says this. He says, Boldness is not a lack of fear. It is faith in something bigger than our fears, so that we appear fearless. Confidence in something bigger than our fears gives us strength to do the right thing in spite of opposition and persecution. If anything is needed in Christian witness today, it is boldness. We don't need bigger music ministries. We don't need longer prayer walks or church foyers. We need boldness, wise boldness, gracious boldness, boldness rooted in the hope we have in the gospel, boldness mixed with love, but boldness nonetheless. I think that's so true. And so we really have about 10, 15 minutes. I do want to spend part of the time um, taking questions and thinking about any questions you might have but what I really wanted to do for the next 5-10 minutes is just turn to the person next to you or maybe get in twos and threes and I just want to spend 5-10 minutes just <coughs> praying and asking God to give us boldness asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit that we would be faithful to preach Christ to people to cross over the pain line and to trust him and that God would use us to reach uh, to reap a rich harvest here in Hornsby and beyond so let's spend five, ten minutes um, gathering. So maybe if, even if we do in, in threes or whatever, you, however you want to organise it, and um, then I'll call us to an end, and we can um, we can deal with any questions that, that people might have um, at the end. The time of Q and A. Why don't you t- talk to the person um, next to you? And maybe um, ask them the following questions. What, what's one thing that really stood out to you from our time together? And then maybe what's one thing that you would want to know a little bit more about or maybe have as a question? So why don't we spend just a couple of minutes um, discussing that to get some food for thought and then come back and you can ask away.
All right. Any any questions at all, guys? Anything that's come out of your conversations? Questions, comments? Anything at all? Cool. Well, any questions at all for you guys at the back? Any any things that you might want clarity on or? Oh, okay, cool. What struck you, Maddie? <laughs> um, I think the story about I can't remember his name, but the guy who was talking about Hollywood. Yeah. Challenging, isn't it? To think about that. Cool. Well, if there's no other questions or comments or things, and then I hope it served you well, guys. Go out and love on people. We've got an early mark by four minutes, um, and uh, you're going to double dip because we're going to talk about this again on the sermon. So. <laughs> so what I'm doing is we can go.